Hello and welcome to Going Off Track. <laughs> my name is Jonah. To my left is Stephen. To my right is Brad. And you have to take that on faith. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, across from me would be Mike if he was here, but instead it is an empty chair. And right next to that, another empty chair with Barack Obama. <laughs> Topical joke. No, it's not. Um, today on our podcast, our guest is Travis Morrison, frontman for the Dismemberment Plan. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were very psyched to get him because we're big D-Plan fans. Saw them a bunch many moons ago before they decided to just stop playing. Yeah. Just take a break. And then they surfaced again, showed up on Jimmy Fallon, as a lot of bands have done. Yes. And decided to keep on making some tunes. And they have a new record coming out. Uncanny Valley comes out October 15th. And uh, first album since 2001's Change. So it's been a while. Over a decade. Very curious to hear what it sounds like. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, that's right. Jonah hears everything beforehand. I, hear, I always I, forget I, that. I've heard albums that haven't even been recorded yet. Nice. Do you get nervous about like leaking something? Like, uh, you know, I don't get nervous about leaking something. I'll be honest. Like, I just sometimes it's annoying to talk to me because people are like, "What do you listen to?" I'm like, "This, this, this." Like, "Oh, that sounds cool." I'm like, "Yeah, it comes out in like three months." Like, but it's like that's what I'm listening to because that's what I'm writing about or I'm doing a bio for the band. Um, it's so, you realize job. that your Williamsburg hipster uh, haters. Yeah, I'm sure this is going to help. Just gotten more ammo. <laughs> this, is, this is more ammo for the guy on iTunes who said I was too Williamsburg for him, so yeah. he couldn't listen. I, to the I don't really listen to anything that's actually Dude, come out. Hey, to, to, that, <laughs> to that guy, if you're listening, like, yes, I understand, but like, also, dude, this is my job, so I'm just talking candidly about my life. If you don't like it, you know, which is awesome, by the way. He showed me pictures of his latest girl, mm-hmm. and by girl, I mean. You know, one night stand. Harem. <laughs> Harem. Uh, I get just being not married and not having kids on this. I feel like you guys have projected this life onto me that. Yep. Yes, we have. And yes, don't we, deny it because nope. we need you. Okay. Yeah, we, <laughs> needs to be important. There needs to be a life beyond. Up. Oh, looks like I'm in bed before 10 again. <laughs> Good night, world. And wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you're already asleep. Yeah. I'm not going to comment on this because I don't want to ruin whatever fantasy you guys have in your head. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Boy, yo- Jonah does a lot of yoga. Must be a lot of bendy chicks, right, Brad? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Do not kill the image I have in my head of you. Up, oh, up. Oh, there it is. There it goes. Uh, Travis Morrison. It's cool because, um, as you will find out pretty immediately, um, he and I have met before. Let's welcome Travis Morrison, Dismemberment Plan, Travis Starr. Hello. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, sure thing. We're psyched to have you. And uh, you're a a Brooklyn native. Now You mean like born? No, no. No, no. No, I know where you were born. All right. You do? Yeah. Yeah, this is the fun part. I think you're He's creeping Steven's, me out already. Steven's trying to say you live in Brooklyn now. Yeah, you yeah, live in Brooklyn Yeah, yeah, now. yeah. I live in Brooklyn. I've been here for five years. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I'll look to you. I translate sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I've lived here for five years. Five years. Yeah. Um, so we'll just throw it out there. We've met. Uh, I was the drummer of the Ice Cream Socialists. No. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You told me about yeah. this. Yes, I did. That's right. Yes. JMU, 1993. Yes. And I don't remember you guys opening or playing or whoever, but I was very drunk. But all I yeah. heard was a great show. Yeah, yeah. Um, you guys, you guys were drunk. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they were a they were a drunk band, pretty much. The ice cream socialists. 
<laughs> yeah, that, it was. Yeah, it was. A, it, was a, it was a rough scene. That was very early. Yeah, that's crazy. And you guys went on to wonderful things. But you went to like Braddock High School. Went to West I Springfield. I did. Oh, you went to West Springfield. Yeah, I'm from Springfield. So. Oh my goodness. All goes back because I know you guys were rivals. Or you couldn't really be rivals with Lake Braddock because they were so big. Okay. 10,000 students in that school. Yeah. Also, we were, the schools were very intertwined because mm-hmm. Lake Braddock was a six year school. It was, it was a secondary school, seven through 12. And a lot of West Springfield kids went to Lake Braddock for seven and eight because West Springfield was just a high school. And they were very close to each other. Mm-hmm. So it, we, the proximity, yeah, the rivalry. I feel like Lake Braddock, we, we had it out for like Robinson. Yeah, man, fuck that. Yeah, that was a real hostile. And the theater sports. They had the theater. Yeah, yeah, they were generally better at sports. I, I, think. <laughs> I think their football team was really All good. Sp- yeah, West Springfield is just basically a nerd school. And then our, our Fairfax County got so nerdy they opened up Thomas Jefferson High School. It's yeah, just nerd high school. Yeah, it was like a nerd temple. Yeah, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's like if you go to that school, you graduate and UVA is your safety school. Like it's just nerds. absolutely. Um, yeah. Now, so what's the timeline from? Well, high school to uh, D plan for me. Um, well, it kind of grew out of high school because I went to Lake Braddock with Eric, uh, the bass player, mm-hmm. and the original drummer from way back in the day who would have played that show, um, Steve. And then we all split off for Virginia State Colleges and stayed in touch. And then Eric went to college with Jason, the guitarist. And then after about like a year and a half or two years, Steve moved on moved on to marry Eric's sister. And Eric and Steve grew up next to each other. So this is deep. This is some, yeah. <laughs> some DNA going on. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Uh, and then Joe was in another band that we used to play with um, in our really early days. And they were breaking up and and Steve left. So he signed up. And that's really when the dismemberment plan started is when mm-hmm. Joe joined. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a continuum. I, I think our mutual friend Chris mm-hmm. knew Eric in high school. Mm-hmm. I think they were big into street hockey. Yeah, sounds, yeah. yeah. Chris would often sing while carrying a hockey stick on stage. <laughs> not, not intimidating at all. He's great. He's, yeah, to, to this day, like one of my favorite frontmen ever. Yeah. The fact that I played in a band with him was just yeah. wonderful. He's, he's one of those people, when you've done it for a long time, you're like, well, you didn't know the real rock star in the scene. Yeah, some other person who you know didn't really pursue it, but yeah, he was great. Mm-hmm. He was he was terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> terrifying drunk. I like these adjectives yeah. for the band I was in. That yeah. works. Stoke the myth. Um, I first saw Dismemberment Plan and uh, immediately loved you guys. And I was going to see, I think it was the Death and Dismemberment tour mm. in two thousand two with Death Cab, and I remember uh, hearing your records and well, actually. Yet again, Dismemberment Plan was another band that I heard on the famous Nowcore compilation. Remember yes. that? It's quite influential. Yeah. It's one of those things that a lot of people bring up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was Kato, right? Kato presents. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love that that happened. Mm-hmm. It was great. Who else? Texas is oh, the Reason. Oh, Texas the Reason. Jehu's on there. Uh, Promise Ring. Jawbox. That's so crazy. Uh, I think... I think Knapsack's on there. I know Hum is on. It's a great, it's beautiful. It's one of the, after yeah. selling all my CDs, it's one of the few that I kept. Yeah. You know what record really holds up is that Hum record. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm an Astronaut, I think yeah. it's called. Oh, man, so good. I just heard them on like Sirius XMU the other day, and I was like, yeah, go, all right, Sirius. And did you see Knapsack is reuniting? I did see that, yeah. With, oh, my goodness. With Eddie from Thrice and Sergi from Sam I Am and really? Blair, and I guess someone else. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> Wait, how many other members? I guess 
I, I mean, I know that those two dudes are filling in. Right. And it's Blair, so I don't know if there's another guitar. Well, I guess that's two guitar players and a bassist, so I guess huh. their drummer? I don't know. Wow. Did you guys follow the little story about Harmar Superstar claiming he was going to be the Bob Stinson chair in the replacements? Yes, I saw something about I saw, about I saw that. a little bit about it on Twitter. I mean, I have a lot of family in Minnesota, so I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> I thought it was the most obvious thing in the world. I don't know if you guys have any roots in Minnesota, but that was like the most Minnesota move to have Harmar Superstar play guitar in the replacements reunion. And then apparently even Chris Mars, who had declined to play, fell for it and was like, oh, well, if I had known you were playing... I would have been down. So it's it's lies. It was a, it was a prank. I was really annoyed. I was oh. really like, why, why, Sean, why? Because I just I couldn't get over how excited I was to see to see him play that would with, be incredible. with Sean. Like write songs with Sean. That'd be amazing. Yeah, God, those records are so good. Now, are you guys playing the Big Riot Fest in Chicago? We are. Okay, yeah, with every band that's ever existed. It's the greatest. <laughs> it looks like that. It's the greatest right? weekend. Uh, I get the listings in my email. It's like you must be psyched to like finish your set and go watch. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I, I am. I mean, the replacements, that's uh, crazy. Although I, I secretly think of them as a band. I, I think Chris Mars was a very pungent part of the song. Oh, yeah. He should, he should be there. I'm I mean, a little weirded like, out that he's not playing. It's like The Clash Without Topper, you know? Like, it's mm-hmm. a little like The Clash Without Topper. Yeah. yeah. He, needs yeah. To be, he needs to just get over it. I, mean, <laughs> I understand it could be terrible. It's kind of like your duty. At a certain point, especially since you're benefiting, you know, the other guy slim. Like yeah, that would well, that, that would seem at like at the very least, yeah. benefit me. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. I know. He's been telling people he forgot how to play drums, which is the most Minnesota thing to say. <laughs> I can't. Even, oh, you know, I don't. I don't even think I can really play the 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 toms anymore. The, the tubs anymore. Like, I can't even tell you how Minnesota nice. <laughs> what's, what's, what's the connection with Minnesota for you? Oh, my mother's from there. Okay. So, and they're all, I have lots and lots of family in the same You go Paul. there a lot? Oh, uh, yeah. You know, about once a year. Um, like, Christmas, unfortunately, is in the winter. Um, I wish they would true. move that because then I could go. And the, the summer is beautiful out there. You should go when Jesus was actually born in March when it's That's true. Warmer. That's true. Or maybe I could just get on the whole, like, uh, like uh, pagan thing and just start worshiping those holidays yeah same know. rituals different tree that's true yeah but yeah there's uh, summer solstice in st paul that's odd good out of mississippi really river pretty. yeah super moon city um okay so uh where what, what excuse me what school, school did you guys in virginia Sorry, i just i just took you guys oh colleges yeah um uh, i went to william and mary although not uh, like well like I, I dropped out uh uh eric and jason went to um mary washington and, and joe went to george mason okay yeah, yeah so yeah that's Everybody went to high school. Oh yeah, yeah. We are <laughs> we are from we are from the Commonwealth. Yep. Yeah, we have all all the corners. And and Jason's from Lynchburg, which is in the Southwest. Mm-hmm. So the entire triangle is oh, is yeah. well spoken for. The the schools are so tight that JMU Tech and UVA all shared a library. So if you wanted a book, at the James Madison University Library was garbage. You had to go to literally the interlibrary loan office and order it from another college that you could have driven to and just picked up. This ridiculous state thing. That's terrible. My dad was so my dad was so psyched <laughs> really? when I got into JMU because I was looking at Emerson in Boston. He was yeah. like, "That's that's how much." And then we went on the tour of JMU, and he went, "This place is really great. <laughs> this is a good. I really like the school." And I was like, "Okay, all right, right, right. I, I'm reading mm. something. Right, something right, you're right. trying to tell me. Right. And I'm gonna, yeah, 
Well, yeah. maybe if you had got into Mr. Jefferson's school, you would have had some books. <laughs> You'd still be paying for it, probably. Instead, yeah. of, instead of slacking Actually, off. Actually, back then, Virginia State colleges for in-state kids were super cheap. Dude. I don't think it's the same way, but mm-hmm. Virginia, it was super, it's a very like, kind of like pride thing with the state of Virginia, their college system, with other weird people names like James Madison, William and Mary, Washington and Lee, Mary Washington, mm-hmm. George Mason. Um, it's like all this, like six same words all mm-hmm. reassembled. Um so at the time, it was super, super cheap. I, I don't think it's as cheap as it used to be. Oh, God, I remember I paid like so, seven grand a semester. It was ridiculous. Yeah. I don't think UVA would have been any more expensive. Than, no, you just yeah. had to have some brains to get in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Thomas Jefferson. Um, so just remember playing like while you were in school, is that why you dropped out? Because you wanted to do the band full time? I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I th- you could probably take that question up a couple of levels psychologically, but you know. <laughs> In terms of like what I what I wanted to go do, yeah, it was. I mean, I was in Williamsburg. Maybe if I had, maybe if I had gone to NYU, maybe I would have gone to classes and then had a band. But you know, Williamsburg, not the most exciting place in the world. Great radio station. I learned a lot from working at that radio station and from working from a commercial radio station out in the sticks. And I probably wouldn't have gotten that opportunity at like a real city. But after. Yeah, after struggling for a couple of years, I just wanted to go be in a rock band. I, I don't know what I was going to do with a political science major. And how are your parents with that? Pretty bad. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Did you> do- <laughs> yeah. Uh, political oh, no. science major, VA kid, like that's like that's what you do. Yeah, right, yeah. right. And you go get your State Department job. Um, Come a GS six by the time you're right, thirty. Right. Uh, oh yeah. Right, writing the yellow line in every day. Um, no. Um, uh, eventually my my dad actually he was at first he was pretty freaked out about it and then he was like and then kind of like his slightly not good old boy but like he came from lower middle class like his dad was a work his dad was just like a general contractor laborer and he's like well you should get yourself a skill so that you're not washing dishes and you're making a little more money like carpentry or you go with computers and so i like cobbled together some kind of skills at desktop publishing. And then instead of, I made the same money I would as a dishwasher, but instead of working 40 hours, I could work 18 hours a week and then, and still be poor, but work on songwriting. So my dad helped me a little bit. Like he kind of was like, all right, he's doing this. So, you know, let's be somewhat constructive. So he gave me some good advice. Support rather than inhibit. Yes. Yes. If you're going to, Jump off the cliff, I'll push you. Yeah, we'll help. Okay, All right, I'll, I'll back you. Knock yourself out. Yeah, exactly. So, though, uh, did you immediately? Because I was people. Whenever you tell people you like the band that does not remember playing, they're like, "What? What is that? Dark metal? Is that yeah. black? Whatever." Like, yeah, the name come out. You should try telling people you're in the band that does not remember playing. Does it get you chicks? No, <laughs> no. Wait, no, I'll thank you. Yeah, no, not a lot of girls backstage at Dismemberment Plant shows? Our wives. <laughs> <laughs> no, did you Joe always have, is Are they hot? Born, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> it's just got to get through this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like the worst question to ask because you've never been asked it in your life, but I'm just, I just have to know. Like, did you, what, like, what didn't, get crossed off to settle on dismemberment plan when you decided on the band name? Oh, oh, um, 
uh like what were the other band names? Yeah. Um uh number one cool guy, um the coolies, and then we fa- realized there was a punk band, a minor punk band from the eighties called the coolies. Oh, and then we decided, oh then we can't do that. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's how it is then. Um we just had a you know how I mean you just you have these huge lists of terrible it's the hardest things. thing. It's so ridiculous. You know, I always like to remind people. I mean, our, our band name is really bad. It's really bad. But you know what's a terrible band name is the Beatles. Mm. Like, you ever thought about that name? It's like a really lame pun <laughs> and kind of anonymous. And like, it, they're the original band. They're the greatest band of all time. And their name is like... Mm. And they mm-hmm. had so many names available to them at that point. Oh, yeah, they had them all. So few names. Right? <laughs> they had yeah. all the names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. Apparently, The Who was available. Yeah. The Rolling Stones, like, people were, people were on it. But The Beatles, it just... But what's the uh, best band name? Because I've had some of the worst band names. And, like, even, you know... Strawberry Alarm Clock. That's bad. <laughs> David, Bowie, David Bowie always says it's The Slits. And that is really good. I always thought X, like it's so. That's a great band name. X, yeah. What else? What else is there? Um, I mean, the Sex Pistols, terrible fucking name. Oh, I disagree with that. Really? Yeah. I I think that like if you thought of them as like an art thing, like once they showed their Vegas side, <laughs> like I I'm into it. Okay. You know, like the kind of like showbiz pranky, you know. Um, embarrassing but wasn't aspect, a way for them just is, to to get to be aligned with the store sex like the sex pistols so they could sell the clothes uh, that's what yeah, they were in anyway that's what yeah. i thought it was like the anti- it was always they yeah were. they were in, they were endorsed by sex <laughs> we're really <laughs> the pistols but you know it's like the texaco show of shows <laughs> can you imagine your young band you know this manager's like well look i've got a store <laughs> <laughs> You have to fit so the name. Like, I the need you to help me. Gear. <laughs> right. They're called bondage pants. <laughs> you will wear them and rip that shirt. Rip it. Right. <laughs> yeah, that is so fucking hard to do because I, I, you know, I still have the poster from the Death and Dismemberment tour. Yeah, that's just a fun. It's a great, yeah. Did you do that art? I did. Yeah, it's a nice poster. That's one of my, my house. crowning moments as a fake graphic artist. <laughs> no. You know, actually, that's my I actually, title too. I actually had <laughs> that title. I don't know if you remember, but I had to get your permission to use that poster in an episode of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you had to get. I think I was like, oh, sure. No, no. Wait, Bravo was... was very specific. They took pictures of all this oh, art. Oh, Bravo. Yeah, yeah. Sure, and right. I was like, cool. You're gonna call Coop and get the permission for that rocket from the Crypt poster? Please do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they were filming in your apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they need permission. It... A- any logo, you got to get permission. For. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah stupid i didn't know that it's, it's a cya i mean you you could tell bravo like oh the dismember those guys they don't give a crap but they don't care they just have a way of doing things mm-hmm. right so cya in case someone turns out to actually give a crap yeah we, don't. we have video crews come here like we have to tell the bands like not to wear any band t-shirts or logos or anything people get pretty goofy so about they, that they, kind of they thing. get the mtv blur mm-hmm. hey, it's so annoying. I mean, the worst is when, yeah, when you see like a painting, like a one of it. I can kind of understand like a trademark thing, but like a one of a kind painting, like, you know what I mean? If you're in somebody's apartment and you see like a painting on the wall, like they have to blur that out. What? Yeah. Like a Rothko? Yeah. Like anything like that. Anything that's like basically Most people have Rothkos. Anything that can be copywritten, like they, they, they My Rothko's covered up. Right, right, right. I just, whenever people come over, I'm like, 
Mine's getting restored and it's taking fucking forever. <laughs> this guy is so slow. <laughs> I didn't know it was a painting. <laughs> I threw it out. <laughs> I just saw it on Prospect Park West. <laughs> they just like left it out against their <laughs> fence. Fucking Rothko's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> so the um I think I saw you I think one of your shows at the Black Cat I saw was one of the first times I saw Strike Anywhere. Oh yeah, they're great. That's so good. Yeah, they're great. That was just a great, and also the the dichotomy of both your bands. Like, yeah, because I was going to see you guys and got there to see them and hadn't heard them, and I was like, this right. isn't the kind of band I would expect to open for you, but that's very close minded of me, you know, right. to think of who you're going to ask for, and it just made the show ten times better because now I had another favorite band. Yeah, you know. Oh man, they were they were great. What a great band. Mm-hmm. I love hardcore. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm sorry. You're from Northern Virginia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> either either is or you ain't. So um, so you felt when you got the current drummer that current drummer uh that that's when the band <laughs> your, your new band is memory plan. Uh, What's his? I just call him drummer. Oh god, drummer, <laughs> new guy playing with God, We were just talking years. about him. I watched him set up one time, and he would put like put like a bungee cord. Oh, sorry, it's my wife. Um, put like uh, a bungee cord around the kit. And then around the stool. A rope. The rope. It was yeah, literally a rope, a rope okay. to keep the thing from flying away from him. Yeah, because he was so ridiculous. Yeah. He plays. He's so yeah. good. It's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> did any did, did something prompt that? Did like a bass drum fly towards you guys or No, not fly, but you know, the, they'll drift away. Yeah. He's 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 uh incredibly hard hitter. So mm-hmm. they just were inching away from him. Yeah. And I don't know if he came up with the trick. You know, there was a generation of terrifyingly hard hitters behind him, like the Damon Shays. Um, I think Zach Broke has hit really, really hard. And I, I think he might have seen it. But there's definitely, like, there's this tradition of of the Visigoth punk rock drummer, you know, coming from the 90s. And I, I think the the rope was part of his, part of that. Stick. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, it was necessary, or otherwise, yeah. like his, his bass drum would be like here. I just thought it was so smart as a, as a, a bad drummer, you know, yeah. admiring someone who has skill, you yeah, know, keeping it from flying all over. Well, the it's place. surprising somebody didn't come up and make a device or a yeah. seat. I thought it was just yeah. like a cinder block or something that was what we always yeah. used. Yeah, there's that too. I tape seat. myself to the mic stand. That helps out. Keeps it from tape your hands. <laughs> Now, does Marin plan? Keep what, my arms down. One of my favorite things Keep about myself your, from touching the crowd. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Get them far away. My favorite things about the band is that when you first hear them, it's it's different in a positive way. It's not. It's you know you have there's a dismemberment plan sound. I feel, and I want to know yeah. where that came from and how that evolved with the members. Oh, I don't know. I mean, um, you know, it probably came a lot from um, there not being anyone real captain mm-hmm. um and being we're not really a band that can will it into being i i wish we were sometimes but if the magic's not there uh if we're not just stumbling into something um through sheer willpower um we get bored pretty quick and we can't just knock out a track you know we're not like a uh Nashville band, you know, like well, what keys it in and, um, you know, put the sheets in front of this. And I think that's a beautiful tradition, but we're basically improvisational group writers. And 
and so I just I just think it's like sheer cussedness and stumbling, um, like you know, just saying no, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it, and then finally it is it, and it's really peculiar at that point. Where did music start for you? For me, um, the very first music I remember loving was Barbara Ann by the Beach Boys. Um, that was my track. <laughs> I was like three, two or three, um, and then uh, I was I was really attentive to music really early, um, and, and my dad was my dad was really into rock and roll, and he would drive me around when the two of us were in the car alone. He would we drive around. He would like give me information about what we were listening to, which was frequently wrong. <laughs> um, so like I thought I thought Steely Dan was one guy named Dan until my early thirties. Like I got all this information, and he'd be driving around. Like, well, see what what this one guy would do is he would just overdub and overdub the tracks, which oh, is kind of true. It was close <laughs> enough that I didn't really challenge it, you know. So what would happen is I would say it in polite conversation, and people would be like, "I did he just say that Celine was one? All right, well, it's cool." Was your dad just trying to think he was messing with you? No, well, you know, maybe, maybe. Uh, no, I think he was just really, he was really interested in music, musicians. He really loved rock and roll. Um, and so he really enjoyed just driving around. And, and I think I was a pretty attentive listener. Like, uh, I remember him explaining to me the difference between new wave and rock and roll when listening to Billy Joel. It's uh, still rock and roll to me. So that was a big thing for me. I was really like, I was really absorbing that information. Like, how does this stuff work? And I had songs I hated. Like, I really, really hated like um, some 70s soft rock stuff. Um, like, like backseat of mom's car, hell, you know, like really early age. Like, I did not want to hear Horse With No Name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> isn't that weird how you haven't been on the planet that long and you already know, whoa, this isn't good. Something yeah. wrong here. Yeah. And when you're a kid, oftentimes you're just confused. You're like, "Why do I hate this?" Yeah, I must be must be something wrong with me. Yeah, why is this? What is this effect? Yeah. What are these horrible feelings? Because <laughs> uh, if that's what they're going for, they're succeeding. Yeah, this is making me learn hate. I didn't like music that had no rhythm, so it wasn't so like I didn't like that. But I really liked "Stuck in the Middle with You" by Steeler's Wheel because that's kind of groovy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't like. Summer Breeze by Seals and Crofts. But I did like, I love Do It Again by Steely Dan. I thought that song was fascinating. Um, and my dad would be like, well, that's a Latin rhythm. And then he'd probably tell me, that's a cha-cha, <laughs> which isn't actually true. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that, and, then I, and, then, uh, and then I started playing guitar in junior high. I was like, all right, let's do this. I'm ready. I wanted to be a drummer. My parents wouldn't let that happen. So I was like, all Smart. right. Guitar. The negotiations began. <laughs> that you can unplug right yeah okay you're in that's right. good that's good you know it's funny about that because really drums aren't the most annoying what's really annoying is like a child that can't play violin or trumpet very well Whew, that's tough i'd take drums over uh screechy violin any day or trumpet when the kid's out of control <laughs> So all, I, all I can hear about with drums when they're practicing is if there's rhythm. You don't care about whatever else is going on. At least if it's sound, it might be loud, but at least it's yeah, it sounds like a beat. But if you're just doing that scale over and over again, that's but nailed. it seems like Dismemberment Plan is one of those bands where all of you guys can sort of play every instrument. 
I mean, would you say <laughs> that that's sort of um, true, or am I giving you guys? Yeah, no, I think. Well, it's not quite true, but it's close. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we um. Yeah, I think there's something to that. Like, there's definitely a lot of like, uh, um, um, other people jumping to other musical instruments. That is definitely true. And we were never, we were always the kind of band. Even in our early days, there'd all be all kinds of batshit experiments. Like, there was one song where I would smash on metal bells. Um, definitely one of those those bands, those fruity bands you know, trombones, like strange, almost vaudeville instrument moments. Like it was never like two guitars, bass and drums. Right. That's what I used to love watching Death Cab, especially like that transatlanticism era where those guys were all switching and everything was so seamless. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's very, very satisfying. Yeah. Uh, you know, a big thing that had an impression on me as a kid was the movie Stop Making Sense. I saw that pretty early in life, like 10 maybe. And I was like, whoa, whoa, the... The guitarist is not playing keyboards. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I want to be like that. So yeah, it just seemed like that's how it was supposed to go. You know, um, if the Beatles had like, kept playing live, I presume they would have been jumping around. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Especially, it would be all Paul at one particular record. <laughs> just what running is, around, what is, hang out. harassing everybody. Whatever you need to do, man. But John. Yeah, that guy Beetle, he just overdubs all the... Be- he's ve- that Beetle, he's very so, good. So, so Beetle is just one guy. <laughs> very, very, very talented. Very talented. It's like my favorite Beavis and Butthead. So whole, like I can't believe her parents named her whole. <laughs> <laughs> remember remember when like your your favorite band would show up on Beavis and Butthead and they would just shred them? Yeah. Like any band that I liked, they would just rip apart. Yeah, I remember uh, when Archers of Loaf was on. I was like, I like that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all right, whatever. That's what they were there for. Stupid. Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a valuable reminder. Yeah. Like hmm? Morrison, you listen to some pansy stuff. Yeah, there was that. Yeah, there was that one episode where it cut to like a, a culture club video, and they were stumped. And it oh just, yeah, they just, they just kept going back. Just <laughs> and then it finally went. I'm a man, and he, you're a man. <laughs> Uh, redoing Mike Judge jokes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you're out of school. Uh, you're now um, desktop publishing, but doing the band thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, how long did it take for you guys? To, like, what was the first indie label you guys were on? DeSoto. DeSoto. And really, just, the only label you just stayed on things. DeSoto, right? Yeah. I mean, it was always like um, a making up and breaking up thing. Um, uh, like we went to Interscope. Um, Kim kind of shuttered the doors on the label a couple of times and then opened it up again. But at the end of the day, all of our records came out on DeSoto. That's crazy. Yeah, you tell me. Did Jay produce for you guys? Uh, yeah, well, no, yes. Um, he, he was involved in mm-hmm. the last two records. Okay. A fellow named Chad Clark, who was in the band Smart and Crazy and Beauty Pill, was involved in all four. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, the first one also had a fellow named Andy Charnico involved, who was in a DC band called Fidelity Jones. He's still down there playing music. Um, so yeah, Chad was like kind of the constant for the four records, and then and Jay worked on the last two. How long was the band together before the 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 end? Um, well, I mean, our first collegiate jam, like where we said we're the Dismember Plan. Well. Was June yeah January one nineteen ninety three. Jason and Eric and I had been fiddling around as a three piece before that, with like 
maybe sometimes a little drum machine, sometimes nothing. Mm-hmm. But then with a drummer, it's January 1, 1993. So it was around 10 years. You know, bands, they don't exist that long. Yeah. Well, it was, I thought it was really interesting when we were talking the other day when you sort of compared it to sort of like saying it wasn't like a high school relationship in the sense. Oh, now, yeah. Now, yeah, and yeah. I thought that it was weird because I had never heard it put that way. Yeah. And it really, I was listening to it later and it really made a lot of sense. And I was like, yeah, this is a perfect analogy. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, because that's what it comes out of. I was telling him, this has been a big kick of mine. I'm getting really tired of people talking to me about like getting back together and breaking up like this is my college girlfriend. Like, I went out to dinner with my college girlfriend, and they're like, are you guys getting back together? Like, getting back together, we're 40. <laughs> or I started a business with my college girlfriend. Or, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, or that she's it has married. to be all or nothing. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Or it has to be getting back to get. What is this getting back together thing? What is this? Um, yeah, yeah, that was something that, because it does. I think we were going out back then. We were dating, the four of us. Um but yeah, it's it's a different scene, and it it's a strange. I understand the attraction of the drama, but it, it freaks me out a little bit when people are like, "So you guys are back together now?" I think now people are a little more cynical about it because it seems another many bands either plan it or it's in the back of their heads that if we break up in a few years, we can come back oh, and make a lot of money. That was not in the back of our heads yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on any level. I mean, you guys had a great evolution, great run. I mean, I love Change. That's a mm. great great record, and. Then all of a sudden, I was like, wait, what, they're done? And then yeah. you did your kind of fair. I went to both nights of the Bowery show. Oh, great. And hung out, which was uh, ballsy because you did all requests. Yeah, that was fun. We were doing some fun, like, uh, song set list challenges back then. Although, I was telling Jonah this story. Someone shouted out a, 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 shouted out a song, and I'm going to see if I can remember the name. I'm terrible. Is it Why Can't We Be Mature? Yeah. Yeah, and it was like a B-side off of a single, and you... Very clearly went, no, no. <laughs> it was an we, unreasonable request. We don't know that. <laughs> I have never. <laughs> and, then you, and then you said, give me a girl. Girl, girls don't care about B-sides. <laughs> and it was the most true rock nerd statement I've ever heard. It's like, that's true. Women don't care about B-sides. Right. right. Well, sometimes they do. So that, I don't that, want to sound so generally, but I was like, that's right. true. Because if ever I'm bringing up a tune to somebody, I'm like, yeah, this, that. Right. I, I, have a, I have a love-hate relationship with some of the crap i used to say from stage <laughs> i wasn't gonna bullshit anyone but maybe i could be a little cranky do you have a love-hate relationship with your ludicrous covers no no i think it's great i think it's a those? genius no, cover it was, it's a great cover i think it's a genius it's really cover awesome. because there's a hidden anxiety in that song like this guy telling you the 74 million things he's gonna do to you like i covered what's your fantasy okay um this was a Travis star, right? Yeah, and it's like, and it's a, and it's, you know, it's like kind of a rapid fire 90s dirty South feel. So the overall, there's an, there's like a coked up aspect to that song, which I only emphasized because um, that's what, if you need someone to do that, you know, <laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> so no, no, I, I think that, I think it's a great, for what it is. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not like a Rolling Stone, but it, yeah, it's, it's a, it was a it was a savvy cover of that song. When you so did the tour for change, then all of a sudden it was what like what was what made you go, all right, we're done? Um had it, had it been growing through that record or that tour? Well, writing for a fifth record wasn't going all that well. Um we were getting to that age. We were around thirty. Um we had been touring like dogs 
forever. We never made it hard for ourselves. We had no management and we charged like $4 for tickets. Um, so we were living on very, very little money, which was still working, but was unsustainable. Um, uh, creatively, financially, spiritually, um, v- like everywhere you look, the word unsustainable it was just there in huge neon letters, you know, and, and it was coming closer. <laughs> <laughs> the unsustainable sign was like closer and closer to the van. Um, maybe we could have done it for a few more years, but I, I mean, I know personally I would have been such a sour little cracker of a van gnome at that point. <laughs> so Yeah, once you see the end of the century documentary, you're like, hey, we cannot do this. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't I we probably could have done it for a few more years, but I, I just I can see from here where it was going. Um and it wouldn't have been pretty. And I, I am unbelievably grateful that I didn't spend my thirties, you know, grinding it out. Like, I don't think we would have been making good records. I don't think we would have been playing inspired shows. Like, I think we would have been like a band that is still playing the clubs. Um, was so, it totally amicable or was there? Was no, there... hell no. <laughs> <laughs> but not for long. You know, it didn't, the, the, the non-amicable, I mean, it was amicable and it's like non-amicableness. Like it was reasonable. Oh. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, but it, it was reasonable. It was like, we were just really, there was a lot of being just tired of each other. Um, so actually, you know, probably, yeah. Cause it wasn't like we're still suing each other to this day. We just needed, we needed some time apart. We all became friends again. All the social connections came back probably within 18 months to two years of just doing other things, you know? So, uh, but no, no, at the time it was definitely like, oh, man, okay. And did you Personal make that decision time. before the remix record? No, we the remix record was still kind of when we were a, when we were a thing. I thought that was a ballsy move. Yeah, it was just, fun. Just, yeah. Was it was it just, was it all the tracks or just the vocal tracks or? It was all, it was everything. We put everything up there and people and you know uh the guy that remixed um at least one of them has kind of gone on to, to really do something with themselves. The guy that remixed The Face of the Earth, which was always my favorite one, actually has a career over in England as a, like an electronic pop artist. His name is escaping me. Um, uh, but I always really liked that remix. I love that re- record. It was just weird that it was our last record. Mm-hmm. Like, what a strange... <laughs> but that's what we had. That's how it went. We'll give all our tracks to the fans and let them do it. And then right. we're done. right. I think it's a cool last record, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of strange. But it was not... Nothing is ever calculated with us. I can't... We're the most uncalculated, like, reactive, day-by-day band. Um, and that's just another example. Like, in no way was it like, well, this will really freak everybody out. Right. The remix record's the last one. That's a statement. <laughs> um, there's no statements. It was just like, uh. Is that because well. all the organization goes into the strong, into the songs? Was that? Is that like you say you're reactive and nothing planned, but your songs are just, and what you play is always so tight and so formed, you know? Oh, I'm glad you think that. I saw you guys, <laughs> I saw you guys a bunch, and, and, and I think I've been to enough shows that I can tell when people can't play and are, are oh, yeah. kind of phoning it in, you know what I mean? Yeah. You guys are always, always really on. Well, I think I, it wasn't so much, I, I don't think we're tight as so much as that we're present. 
Um, I actually think we can be super confused and disorganized, but we're pretty improvisational. Um, and I actually, I have a theory that rock and roll, like Jimmy Page calls it the loose, tight sound. If you really want to sound like a tight rock and roll band, you kind of like try to go up to this meta level of ownership of the music where it's kind of a little chaotic, but you're still riding it. And that's when you really, that's actually, we're not actually that precise. Like we can't hit the same beat to save our lives. Like if you just go one, two, three, four, and then it's just like a crazy smear. (laughs) (laughs) But it, when it locks together mentally, uh, it's something else. And I think the four of us, we never, I think that was kind of what we aspire to. And that's, we learned that from bands like Fugazi who were so almost jammy sometimes. They were a total jam band. Yeah. And I hate jam bands. And I, it's so hard for me to admit that, but you know, that's like required listening from our neighborhood. Right. And you'd go to Fugazi shows and they would never have a set list. Right. And they would just start and they'd always hit waiting room at the same time and they just knew what they were doing. And right. They, and, and we've all seen Fugazi shows that suck. Oh yeah. You know, that was part yeah. of the deal. Yeah. Yeah, thank God. I mean, you know, that was why the ones that were great were like the face of God. So know? good. Like, <laughs> you'd be like, wow, because the last time I saw them was ass. <laughs> you couldn't even... Actually, it's like they say about all the great rock bands. Like the guys who would produce the Rolling Stones would say like, boy, sometimes they can sound terrible. Mm-hmm. You'd walk in and be like, this band is the... I can't believe I work with this band. They are the worst band. And then they would say they would see a certain shift. There would be a certain change in body language with the, the, the Stones. And then, boom, they would just nail it. And, uh, yeah, that's, I, th- I don't know. I think we all, not, we didn't talk about it, but I think that's probably, that's the only kind of greatness that was really available to us as people anyway, so we had to go for it. <laughs> when did you, when you guys toured with Pearl Jam, were there any kind of, did they have that kind of a range where some nights were really on and some were off, or were they pretty consistent? They were pretty consistent. Yeah. Uh, they were just great. I mean, they were just great. I, I learned so much from them that I never played a stadium again that so I wasn't able to put it into practice <laughs> but like what kind of stuff like just like how to pl- how, how open yeah um I'm a pretty excitable guy and I can talk fast and I can move quickly and I had years of training of entertaining people in small clubs and seeing Eddie Vedder just put the whammy on 15,000 checks you know uh the the grace and the control with which he would talk to them but still have personality still be him even though it was broad strokes that was a thing watching them and thinking oh i see broad strokes very immature of me to think broad strokes equals lame broad strokes equals lack of soul and i loved certain pearl jam songs in the radio but it didn't go deeper for me until that tour and I said, no, 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 no. Broad strokes can be the highest level of artistry. Um, they w- their set lists were extremely open. And those could really range all over the place. And they were very intent on digging into their whole catalog. Um, and they would do a lot of covers, which we don't do. And I wish we did more. Um, but they were just, they were on it and they were great. <laughs> uh I don't know. They had they had what's his name from Soundgarden, that incredible drummer playing with Matt him. Cameron. Then Matt Cameron, you know. So it's kind of like, um, it's all about the drummer. That guy's up there. Yes, it is. Really, it's yeah. only as good that, as your drummer. That's like yeah. you were saying the other day when you got you and Jason were talking about fast is slow with the mm. Navy Seals, and that it seems like that's the same kind of idea. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that, uh, you know, you just can't say too many things to them in a row. Maybe he was slowing down because no one spoke English. <laughs> Maybe if we were playing, you know, Pomona, he'd be like, hey guys, what's going on? How you doing? But I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I think he's just very comfortable being patient with communicating with large amounts of people in a way that has personality and has a point of view it's that springsteen element you know where like that's yeah like because yeah you know, I've, I've interviewed bands before and been like do you like playing these giant rooms because i would think that would be very intimidating like billy joe armstrong is really great at it you know and they're yeah. like no we actually prefer that when i think about it it's you know it's basically it's like you're on the radio you're talking to a lot of people but it's just one person you're talking to they're just all sitting there at the same right. time yeah I had the same experience with Pearl Jam. I'd never seen him live. I always liked him, but never, yeah. like, you know, wasn't like one of the Pearl Jam fans. And I saw him and was, you know, close. Yeah, I would be looking at the crowd, looking back, and I was like, damn. Yeah. It lived up to every ounce of hype, which I like when that happens. Yeah. You know, I was like, okay, oh, oh, all right. I back it. All right. Well done, Pearl Jam. Right. You got my vote. You're in. You're in. <laughs> Go on about your set. <laughs> Enjoy. Right. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it is, it is great. It's great when people aren't terrible. Yeah. Well, you, that is great. You have to find that, like, you know, great artists get there for a reason. You can, mm. you can hate it. I mean, I'm, I was never a Springsteen fan, and I finally went with Newkirk to see Springsteen, mm. and, like, uh, I got it. Mm. You know, like, I was like, yeah. holy shit. I haven't seen him live. Yeah, mm. I mean, he's like, it's, you go to church with Bruce. It's like a feel-good experience. Everybody's there to feel good and everybody right. feels good. Well, I think, you know, not to assume too much about your psychology and how you think about art, but like, you know, feeling good is generally considered the work of pansies. <laughs> you know, it's 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 not it's not what Joy Division does and it's not as interesting and, and I think he's someone who really counters that. Yeah. Well it's not like, that's BS. Yeah, it's actually. not hip, you know, to right. feel good. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. But then he'll play a song like Forty One Shots and you know, uh you know, destroy half of his audience. Right. And yeah. he's even talked about that in documentaries where like he'll have people coming up giving him the finger, like fuck right. you, and he'll lose his police escort afterwards, he'll get offended, and then then they'll be playing Dancing in the Dark and walk up and high five him. Yeah. Hey, all right, there you are. Right, right, there you are. I forgot the one about <laughs> you know the black kid. It's like shot. yeah. Because the river is really uplifting. Mm. You know? <laughs> that's a that's a power ballad about love right yeah, there. Yeah. That's huge. So when did the conversation begin? Uh, to put the band back together was it jimmy fallon that he started yeah yeah he came over and he's like guys he's like i want to test out some jokes on you yeah yeah here sit down <laughs> yeah he tried some of those horrible dismemberment jokes <laughs> i'm gonna do uh, neil young right. doing you are invited right. are you ready right <laughs> um i'll come out it looks like i have one arm um uh well we released vinyl of emergency and i and Barsik said, can you please play shows to help promote it? And we're like, all right, sure. And there was really no thought of making another record. But then as we kept jamming, well, what, well, as we kept rehearsing, we started to jam. And we started to have licks. We started to have eight bar, 16 bar riffs and uh, parts and pieces pop out. And at first, just a trickle. And then after a while, like a lot. And, you know, that's really when you know a band actually is doing something. When um, no matter what's going on with their songs, 
if they get together as four people with instruments and inadvertently come up with two or three fresh little, you know, songlets or loops, you know, just 16 bar things like little grooves, then the creativity is there. And if you're not doing that, and we weren't doing that uh, when the band was breaking up, that was not happening at the rehearsals. Those were some depressing rehearsals in 2003. Um, it started happening and, and it started happening a lot. And then when the shows were over, I was like, well, why don't we keep jamming? You know, not a record, not let's make, you know, let's make the whole plan. Let's just keep jamming as four people and see if it feels good. See if the songs start to come out of the murk. Keep, keep stirring the murk. But the whole know? impetus was the vinyl. They just said, hey, will you play some shows? And you're like, yeah, sure. That was, I mean, yes. Literally, just all, just all yes. sign on board. That's yeah. great. I told you, we don't, it's like one, we probably would be a lot richer if we could make this strategic decisions. <laughs> but it was just like, you want to do it? Yeah. You want to do it? Uh, hold on. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm clear. <laughs> so you didn't wait for Coachella, you waited for the vinyl record to come out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. What yeah. was the catalyst for the vinyl? Just the fact the anniversary is coming up and they want, someone wanted, Varsity wanted to put it out? Well, people would ask us if we wanted to do vinyl. Uh-huh. Um, and we were always very passive about it because you get those kind of fly by night, like, hey, man, I'd love to put out your vinyl. And I kind of like test them, test their seriousness, like, all right, show me the cash we'll use to pay for it. Keep communicating with me. And then they would disappear because the idea would fade. And frankly, people would be like, this man playing vinyl will sell so great. Like, like, it'll be just like shellac. I'm like, my band's not a whole lot like shellac. I love shellac, but it's a different zone. It's a different mindset. Um, but this was also before the kind of reanimation of the vinyl market, which has been one of the things that's happened over the last 10 years. And I don't remember how we got the concept together with Barsuk. I don't remember if they approached us or we approached them. I can't think of it. But it suddenly was finally for real after it kind of floating around out there. And I'm not the kind of, I'm not like a media person. I'm not like, I've got to see my songs on a, I mean, it was so wonderful to see when it finally was in my hands, but I wasn't, I wasn't like crazy about the idea, but when it became available to us and Barsic was serious and Barsic had the financial backing and the organization, I was like, yeah, awesome. Um, but it just seemed like, I don't know, a cool thing to do, you know, and someone was going to be serious enough to see it through. And we can't, we couldn't project manage that. No way, Jose, we needed help. So they were like, play some shows. And then, I mean, I heard about it, that, you know, the rumblings were happening. I remember years ago when you broke up, someone said, oh, you're, they're, you're, they're only going to play Fort Reno shows. That would have been a way to go. Yeah. I mean, I, at the time, and we were committed to it. I mean, we don't, it wasn't like a commitment, but it seemed a natural way to go. <sighs> to play local shows kind of when the bat signal presented itself, like we played a benefit for to get a, a special wheelchair for Jay Robbins' son, who um, who has like a has an illness, and were you on the For Callum disc? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, well, uh, I think I was a mm-hmm. solo. Yeah, um, so you know, like we like the idea. There's that kind of history in DC of like you know the Slicky Boys playing a show a year, Chuck Brown. Like DC is a little like New Orleans. Like you have those like local players who just do it until they die. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, word. I thought that would be a great idea to semi-regularly play um, and just be like 
local schmoes, you know, old local schmoes. Um, I don't see any reason to not still be an old local schmo. We just have new songs. <laughs> <laughs> the Fallon thing is cool because uh, Joan and I went to when they when they had Jawbox play, and they did a little mini soundtrack concert, and yeah. everybody sit down and play. So, had you at the the height of change when that record was out? Had you guys done any late night shows? No, no. So no. Fallon was the first. That must yeah. be really cool. Yeah, it was super cool, mm-hmm. super cool, and luckily we play the songs right it was terrifying it was totally terrifying because you're all sitting there in front of the roots yeah yeah i know oh they're great they were they're great. All, we have a lot of friends who work on that show and it's really it's such a happy scene yes it's such a it's such a functional scene mm-hmm. <laughs> how many songs did you guys play because i know sometimes they do extra for online yeah that we did uh what do you want me to say in gyroscope with extras one of them emerged on the internet and then kind of sank below the waves again and then one they just kind of stashed i don't know if they like play it sometimes they get high yeah man play that third plan song yeah <laughs> after the session you know? um that's quest loves tune that's his yeah right right um have you guys read his book no no i didn't know he had a book but yeah, it's called Mometa blues mm-hmm. really? i think well, was i think it's like an as told to it's just like his because obviously the man must just the man of a million anecdotes so it's stories about like his trouble with michelle bachman when they played the fishbone song right. she walked on that was uh, his own fault uh, yeah because he tweeted it had he kept his mouth shut yeah. no one ever would no known. one would have fucking yeah. don't mess with the word bitch hmm? don't you know i was saying someone they could have done lies by thompson twins yeah lies 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 yeah that would have been fine mm-hmm. but they got away with it or they got they got through it um and then uh he he one night when he got invited to go roller skating with prince um apparently it's just like stories hopefully there'll be some stories about d'angelo in there yeah um, did you read the new yorker profile they did on quest love yeah and that yeah. that d'angelo stuff was really interesting because they were like supposed to be rehearsing and d'angelo wasn't showing up and then yeah. he showed up at the show and how like quest love was just doing everything and like <laughs> so intense it's like mom yeah yeah you know, no, exactly I, oh he's gonna be here no one's on time like yeah <laughs> i know <laughs> That's how it is in music. There's always one person, that one person who has enough organizational moxie for all the other, like, and I'm not that guy. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, Brad. <laughs> yeah, there he is. What was your line about your band? That you, you said you had to realize that not everyone's given 25%, so I'm going to have to be comfortable. No, but I thought this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> What's up, LeBron? No, but I, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Like, if, if, you, if there's four people in a band and everybody thinks, okay, if I give 25%, then we'll, all, we'll get it done. Everybody has to give 30%. Or they yeah. have to think they're giving 30% in order for them to then be actually contributing 25%. Right, right. You need 120%. Yeah. <clears throat> That's basically it. And it's true. This math does not work. I need but everyone I just, to give 78%. I just brought it up to this kid all five of getting you. married. And was asking me for advice. And I'm like, well, this is what I learned in a band. And it applies to marriage. Like, if you think a marriage is 50-50, it's not. It's (laughs) (laughs) 60-60. If you don't both feel like you're giving a little bit more than you're you're supposed to, then it doesn't work. Huh. I don't know if that's what I learned in a band. (laughs) Your band seemed like, show up. Oh, this sounds cool. Let's go play. (laughs) Well, I just discovered why I'm single, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, why didn't you I tell me like this earlier, man? I deserve to be able to give 35% <laughs> to this 
I like to give 10 and have the rest, the other 90 come to me (laughs) when I want it to be. You know what I think I learned in a band, which probably does apply to marriage, which is that until the check has been signed or the music has been sent to the plant, you don't have to freak out. (laughs) Truth. Until, that's a good one. Until someone's hand is in the checkbook, like, or until the masters are being encoded, like, all kinds of ideas will come up. Relax. Like, uh, you can just be easy. And I, and I, what, I was like, I've got to respond to all ideas yeah. with the same berserker intensity. Yeah. And, and then I realized, no, no, you just only have to respond if, you see, if like, it's like getting towards that point. You know? um, but, but it's going to be a crazy situation. People are going to say all kinds of weird stuff. Um, so I'm realizing I'm mapping this to my marriage. <laughs> with the, hi honey <laughs> with the new record was it was it hard to kind of since you guys kind of were doing it kind of on your own in a sense was it hard to kind of let go and be like this is a record we're done or does that really would you get ideas late at night like oh i should add this thing or uh you know i felt like it was almost ideal in that we were um uh, hammering, 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 and then we're like, "This is done." Um, in there would be situations where someone would say, "Like," because it was very iterative. There'd be situations where someone would say, "This is not it. This is not right. This has got to go back to the drawing board." But I would say, now that we're done, I can't think of any situation where that happened, and it was just a total blind alley. Like, like the Kletzmer version was not a good idea, as it turned out. Um, like which is rare yeah. <laughs> right right usually usually that's well, the single that's pretty positive <laughs> right because you, know? you do that and the b-side skiffle and maybe the Sk- dj will flip it and that's going to be the hit you don't know how it's going to turn out right um no you know actually the that kind of persistence we we actually ended up at the dunzo place slash the exhausted place in that place where it's just like i don't have any more which I think tends to happen when it is right. Like, I think when you get that feeling, you're like, you can accept it in your heart, you know? Um, yeah, I think that it it was hard work, but it didn't spiral out of control. It was actually relatively unneurotic. It actually, it might have felt that, I was like, is this neurotic at the time? And it turned out to not be neurotic. It actually, in retrospect, was good. If we still were, if we were working four years later, you know, you'd be the laws. Well, um, oh. I know. Uh, <laughs> um, is the record finished? Yeah, completely, completely yeah. done. And when's it coming out? I don't know. Okay. I can't tell you. Uh, <laughs> you want to time the release of this? One? Nobody tells me any. This, you know, the problem with telling the singer, like, there's a plausible deniability. Uh-huh. I'm sure other guys in the band know, but with the singer, if you don't tell him, nobody finds out. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> Do we have a title? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's I funny. think we have learned the success of a band. The room, don't tell. Half the room knows what the title is and half doesn't. <laughs> I'm not really, um, I don't, I have, there's a buzzing feeling behind my ear. Mm. <laughs> it's getting stronger. <laughs> Somewhere a label person's going, wait, there's a, there's a problem. Right. Like a million souls crying out. <laughs> And then we're and then we're silenced. I'm Brooklyn vegan. <laughs> oh, Brooklyn vegan. 
the meanest people ever go to that website. I feel like yeah. the comments on that site are so brutal. Although, you know, I had a I had a nice moment. I have this other band, the Burleys, and we have like a faux press picture, which is just like webcams at our office, four of us in a grid. And they just ran a story about us playing a show. And uh apparently the comments were like, I just want to punch those guys in the face. <laughs> But none of them said, I want to punch Travis Morrison. I was like, awesome. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't even look at the article. And then I mentioned my bandmates. Like, yeah, well, you know, the bait, you know. And they're like, well, they didn't mention you. And like, they didn't mention me. They didn't say kill Travis Morrison. Oh, my God. It's a new world, new dawn. So they just want to kill my bandmates. And I feel really good about that. We talked a lot about Dismemberment Plan with Travis. We didn't talk about Travis Starr, which if you haven't heard uh, him doing uh, ludicrous covers, it's really, really funny. I actually don't know if I've ever heard that. Yeah, you can find it out there. I think he might have it on his website. And uh, also the band The Burleys that he talks about. So He's an intelligent person. He's very smart and can play and, I don't know, seems to have a good grasp on having that whole band thing going away and coming back. It seems to be more healthy than calculated, and I dig that. Yeah, me too. So check out Dismember Plan's new album, October 15th. It is called Uncanny Valley or Uncanny Valleys. Is it plural or singular? It's Uncanny Valley, but Uncanny has an, it's, has an E in it. What? U-N-C-A-N-N-E-Y. I don't understand. I don't know. It's probably some hyper literary thing we just can't because wrap our heads around. Because that's uncanny. It's just, so, they're just talking weird about the X-Men and that's how it is. Um, if you dig us, go to goingofftrack.com and listen to the podcast there. If you really like us, you can click on the donate button. Um, if you really like photos of the people that have been on the podcast, they're there and you can look at them. We like to make our podcast website look pretty. And then we don't update it with anything else new. Uh, go to facebook.com slash goingofftrack if you want to send us an email or goingofftrack at gmail.com. Yeah, send resumes if you'd like any of our positions because, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And some of you have asked if you could be interns for the podcast. The answer is no. So stop sending us stuff. <laughs> That'd be very nice of you to do that, but um, we have nothing to offer. So you should probably go intern somewhere that you could learn stuff. Did <laughs> someone really asked you that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Flat out on Twitter. And I was like, that's really awesome. There's so many better places to work. But Rubber Tracks, we record the podcast. They get interns. And if you want to find out about that, go to Rubber Tracks' website. Or if you want to transcribe my interviews... Oh, yeah. Look me up. Yeah. And Jonah could probably use an intern. I I, I actually used to have an intern, and he's actually pretty successful now. And then I tried to hire another intern who I interviewed at the Whole Foods food court and was like, you got the job, and then he never wrote me back. Yeah. So. Why are you getting guys? (laughs) Dude, I'll take, at this point... I'll take whatever I can get. Why don't if you get wants one of those help bendy yoga girls that yeah, show up at your house like to have a, sex? How are you going to have like a like a, you know an uncomfortable? Thanks for listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen um, that movie Secretary? I bet it's yeah, what it's like, right? Dude. Maybe that already happened. Maybe. That's why he doesn't want to do it. Yeah. Did you molest an intern? <laughs> oh my god, he totally did. Cue music. Cue music.